0: You're listening to Simple Ritz Radio, episode 35, and today is more about the when than the what.
1: One of the things I I tell people all the time is, you know, your gut is your second brain, okay? And and your gut has its own circadian rhythm, and so understanding, like, these windows, you know, can actually be very, very important um, to, to sort of understand what you should be eating and when you should be eating and things like that. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Sherm.
0: Welcome back to this podcast, I'm your host Alexa, and as always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. While it seems complex and overwhelming, my passion is to really help you break it down into the basics and help you live a more simplistic and healthy life that you enjoy. Today, I'm excited to have a previous guest in the show, known most commonly as the sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce. It's funny how 2Pass aligns so well and the knowledge he conveys perfectly fits into what I also believe to be true in this confusing world of nutrition and health that we live in. Dr. Bruce is a clinical psychologist specializing in sleep disorders, is on the clinical advisory board of The Dr. Oz Show, and appears regularly on the show. He is also a best-selling author, clinician, and full of wisdom about a realistic view on health. He was recently on episode 30 where we uncovered chronotypes, which I like to think is similar to our own personality types. And while it hasn't been that long ago, you can then think of this as part two to that first episode. However, this is less about the chronotypes, although we're going to talk greatly about that, but in the aspect of how it relates to nutrition and why the when may be more important than the what. So today, I'll be asking Dr. Bruce, when the best time to burn body fat is, how our sleep chronotypes affect our metabolism, and if it really could be possible that our bedroom is making us fat. But before we get into today's show, I just wanted to say that we hit 100 ratings and reviews. Actually, 101. But seriously, I'm elated and I can't thank you enough. For it is your love, support and encouragement that have helped me to reach this milestone. The ratings and reviews are not just for my benefit, but are the foundation of others being able to find and listen to the show, which could be life-changing step in their own health. I just logged onto iTunes and read this amazing testimony to the show from Tiffany Riser. She wrote, "In a world where the most information I get on a single topic is from a 300-word article shared on Facebook, This is such a breath of fresh air. A detailed look from a variety of angles, this podcast is the easiest way to keep health top of mind. Thank you so much for that, Tiffany. And seriously, this encouragement means so much. So if you'd like to be a part of spreading the realistic and honest truth about health, I'd love to also capture your honest feedback. To leave a rating and review and help the show go round, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash review. And now let's get to Dr. Bruce. Again, I can't thank you enough for doing that. But now it's back to the show, and let's get right to Dr. Bruce. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Bruce. It was not that long ago that we spoke, but a really impactful episode, and I'm so glad to have you back on.
1: Oh, are you kidding? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So last time we talked a lot about your book, The Power of Win and Chronotyping. Today though, we're gonna kind of play off of that because I think that's really important and where we're going in a huge piece of the puzzle, but to take it another step further and talking about mm-hmm. more of the diet and the nutrition-related aspect of that. So, what sure. does sleep have to do with weight loss? Like that's the like the big overarching <laughs> question, and we're gonna break it down, but just kind of give us the gist of how sleep is actually related to weight loss.
1: So it's actually quite fascinating. There's a tremendous amount of data uh, at this point to be able to say that number one, there is a distinct relationship. Uh, and it turns out that the more sleep deprived a person is, the more it affects their weight. Um, and so let me first give a definition of sleep deprivation so people can kind of get an understanding of that. Because we, we, you know, we're not just talking about minutes here, we're also talking about quality. So it's not just a quantity right. issue, it's a quality issue. and um, You know you can be sleep deprived for any number of reasons it could have to do with stress it could have to do with uh, sleep apnea let's say you have sleep apnea or another sleep disorder it could have to do with depression anxiety uh, another medical situation you know what have you but there's a lot of different things that can not allow you to get either the quantity or the quality of the sleep that you're you're looking for um and and so let's say that you're sleep deprived and by the way um that is a very individual process as well. So as an example, I'm a six and a half hour sleeper. I have been almost my entire life. Um, but my wife needs eight and a half hours. If she got six and a half, she would be sleep deprived. If I get six and a half, I feel great. So knowing and understanding how much sleep you need and then seeing if you're getting it or not will help you personally define if you're sleep deprived or not. Okay. Uh Um, but, but once we've kind of established that fact, and let's say that people are like, well, I'm exhausted when I wake up in the mornings and I don't feel like I get enough sleep, so I'm sleep-deprived, what on earth happens to me biologically uh, when it comes to weight gain? And there's actually several different things. So first of all, the more sleep-deprived you are, um, the more your metabolism slows down. Uh, this is a protective mechanism that the brain, uh, does, but it's, it's important to understand the origins of it. And so when you're up and awake longer than you need to be, your brain doesn't say, Hey, let's take a nap because what ends up happening is, is way back in the caveman days. Um, if you were up later than you should be, it was because like a saber tooth tiger or a woolly, woolly mammoth was after you. Right. Right. And you, you know, it's probably not the best time to take a nap. Um, and so what the brain wants to do is the brain wants to conserve resources and so what it does is it slows your metabolism down so that you don't convert the carbohydrates as quickly you don't go to the fat stores as quickly but you slow the entire metabolic rate down, the more sleep deprived you are. So that's number one. Number two is your brain also does something else, but it increases your appetite. Uh, It does that by elevating your levels of cortisol uh, and as we know, cortisol, high levels of cortisol is directly related to appetite. So why on earth would it do that? The reason it does that um, is because it wants you to get in more resources, right? And so your brain is thinking, okay, this person's awake. We need to get more food in and we need to slow down our our burn, if you will, um, in order to keep this, this mechanism, this body functioning. But that's not all that occurs. It gets even more interesting. There are two hormones. One is called leptin and the other is called ghrelin uh ghrelin is the go hormone the way i remember that is ghrelin starts with g and go starts with g um and so um you it turns out that your body has more ghrelin when you're sleep deprived, about 20% more ghrelin. And this is, this is something that increases hunger. Now there's a difference between increasing appetite and increasing hunger. Um, those are actually in two different areas of the brain, but, um, just for simplicity's sake, your appetite is higher and your ghrelin is higher, which means your hunger is higher and your leptin, which is that feeling of feeling full actually Mm -hmm. is 15% lower. Mm -hmm. right? So think about your scenario, right? You're sleep deprived, your metabolism is slow, your appetite is high, your hunger is high, and your feeling of being full is low. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. Right, You know what I'm saying? Right. And then- One other interesting thing happens um, is cravings. So there's a lot of data to show that the body likes to produce serotonin when cortisol levels are high to sort of calm you down and make you feel a little bit better. The single easiest way to increase serotonin in your system is by eating um, complex carbohydrates and high fats. So your body actually craves high carbohydrate, high fat food when you are sleep deprived. So again, it, it couldn't be a worse scenario. You're craving cookies, cakes, and candy bars. Right. Your appetite is high. Your ability to feel full is low. Your metabolism is low. Um, and, uh, and your hunger is high. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, how could you not gain weight?
0: Right. I look at health as a picture of our hormonal flow because I feel like Oh, yeah. People can try to do as much as they want, and they can think they're out of control f- because they have a lack of willpower, but really, we can't really beat our body into submission. <laughs> we really have to learn to work with it, and I think all aspects of what you just said, from lowering our metabolism to it clinging on to everything, like, the more we try to overcome that or to push our body harder by exercising, to stay up later to get more work done, by trying to use willpower, we're really just making our body conserve more. And so when we nice. look at this like hormonal imbalance that's happening, can you kind of explain the hormonal flow between that transition that happens from day to night and why that's so critical? Um, and maybe even to go a little bit further is to say, can fat be lost during the day or is fat only lost at night?
1: Right. So great question. And so first of all, just at the outset, um, some of these answers are going to be applicable uh, more to men than to women. And the reason that is, is because most of the research has been done on men. Um, You know, when we look at hormones, uh, unfortunately, women have not been well represented in the research world because of the menstrual cycle and because a lot of researchers say, well, how am I going to get everybody at the same time during their menstrual cycle? And so what they do is they just use humans that don't have a menstrual cycle, i.e males. Um, And so a lot of that research has kind of been done with men. Um, And I think that's kind of an atrocity, to be honest with you. I I really wish we could start to see more uh, women or female focused research, especially in the areas of weight gain, weight loss, um, because that's an area that women have a far greater propensity to care about. I mean, I can't count the number of guys who don't care that they have a beer belly, who don't care that they're out of shape. Um, and it's really unfortunate because they're putting a strain on themselves and the healthcare system, but that's my soapbox for the moment. Right. And can Um, I
0: clarify one thing just to state that, because I feel like this is such a big issue and something I'm really passionate about as well is that women are not small men, even though we're like to believe that and that when you talk about that, that just to clarify that men are on a 24 hour hormonal cycle, why it's so easy to study them where women are generally on a 28 day cycle making it almost like you almost have to do a weekly, like based off of where you are in your cycle, everything would change, but go ahead. So that was that clarification.
1: Yeah. And also just to re re reemphasize that, you know, I make recommendations for women about their sleep based on their menstrual cycle. So where you are in your menstrual cycle may have a lot to do with um, where you're going to be um, sleeping or when you're going to be sleeping more specifically. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm right there with you. And actually I have a free downloadable ebook for people. um, And I'll, I'll give you the website uh, for the show notes if people want to go and, and download yes. the free ebook. It's different than The Power of When. It's all about women's health issues. It's called Beauty Sleep. Um, but, you know, when you're looking at hormones and you're looking at weight loss, um, a couple of things to to really kind of try to think through here. Um, the leptin ghrelin uh, issue is, is certainly one of them, but it also um, has to do with the production of insulin. And so as our body um, produces insulin, um, that's one of the ways that we, you know, work through the, different thing, the, the, through the different aspects of the, of the uh, dietary components that we're eating. So that's certainly something to think through. And, and our diet actually has a lot to do with that and our cravings and sort of when are we eating and what are we eating can have a, a pretty big effect on our weight gain as well. You know, in, in the book, um, The Power of When, one of the things that we recognize is that there are a, a large number of people out there who are eating at the wrong time and um and that's based again on their chronotype right and so when we when to answer your question can we lose fat during the day yeah we can um if we're eating the right foods at the right time it'll actually work fairly well and the body is a, a really amazing system uh and it, and it can do some pretty un- un- unbelievable things but one of the things to, to you know remember is is that you know food choice um, and timing of that food is gonna be one of the more critical aspects. There was a really interesting study, um, just to digress for a second, uh, where they looked at mice, and uh, they had mice in three different categories. One, and, and by the way, they had the exact same food and same amount of food that they were allowed to eat. So they put this dish of food out and one cage could eat 24 hours a day, just kind of grazing here and there, same amount of food. Uh, One cage could only eat during a 12-hour period Mm -hmm. and then another cage could only eat during an eight-hour period. And, um, what they found was again, same amount of food, same exact caloric, um, exposure. They found that the rats that could, um, eat during a 24 hour cycle gained almost, I think it was 12 or 14% of their body weight. Um, the ones who ate during a 12 hour period, their body weight stayed the same. And the ones who ate during an eight hour period, they actually lost weight, Mm. same food, same amount of food. Right, so there's something to this whole idea of when should we eat, Um, and so the the long-winded answer to your question is yes. Um, (laughs) There, you can lose weight at night. In particular, um, some people, uh, some studies would argue that uh, that's probably the best time to lose weight, and you can lose weight during the day. Again, depending upon the timing of the food and the amount of food that you take in.
0: Right. So, so give us an idea because this is the what I would call intermittent fasting. Um, you know, some people call it the 12 or eight hour window. I think it can really change the name of, I see it so often changing cravings and even what people want to consume based off of the hormonal flow. But give us an idea of, you know, how, you know, when it's best to eat and when it's best to rest.
1: Okay. So first of all, you know, I'm going to lean back towards my chronotype idea, which is mm-hmm. know your chronotype. So mm-hmm. if you don't know it by now, go to the powerofwhenquiz.com and um, you can you can learn it for free. It doesn't cost you a dime. I don't take your email or anything like that. Um, you can take the quiz and learn more about you know what your genetic propensity is. Right. Um, there are four different categories or characters, if you will. We've got our early morning people that I call lions, our middle of the day people, bears, our evening people like myself who are lions, and then my poor sleepers, which are dolphins. And so um, once we kind of fall into one of those uh, four categories, then the question becomes, all right, well, what's going on um, there from a hormonal perspective? And so it appears as though there's a direct relationship between chrono misalignment and belly fat, Mm, right? So if you're, if you're, if you're in good shape and in terms of um, following your chronotype, then so is your body. But if not, all kinds of digestive and metabolic dysfunctions are kind of um, bound to happen. So, so what I thought I'd do maybe is talk about different um, organ systems, and, and you could see sort of what happens here. So, for example, if we look at the liver, so you know, not only is the liver the body's filtration system, it also kind of controls sugar, cholesterol, bile right. production, and and distribution, right? Um, We know that the pancreas is in charge of insulin and the ebb and flow of blood sugar. We know that the gastrointestinal tract keeps time moving uh, food along – Uh, sort of the, the, and absorbing nutrients where it needs to, obviously muscles. Um, we don't think of them as a metabolic organ, but when your body releases fat and sugar for energy to climb some stairs or to blink your eyes or something like that, obviously, um, they go to the, the nutrients go to the muscles to be consumed. And then of course there's fat cells, right? So each fat cell in your body produces hormones tell you when you're hungry or full, things like that. Um, so, you know, when you start to look at it, you know, uh, the digestive process is, is kind of like a train leaving the station. So w- one goes through a tunnel, uh, followed by another, followed by another, every train kind of stays on schedule and they get where they're supposed to go. But now if, if a, a hundred trains started heading to the tunnel tunnel at the same time, your, your body would be out of sync. And so when your body is out of sync, it's a, it's really, um, the only thing your body knows to do is to store. The food, Mm -hmm. um, because it just doesn't know what's going on, and that's where you get the problem. So, like excess fat and dysfunctional uh, metabolic hormone functions sort of bring on inflammation and something called oxidation, uh, which causes just about every disease known (laughs) to man, right? Right. And especially things like heart disease and cancer, diabetes. Now we're we're seeing so all of this can be avoided or even reversed uh, in some cases by directing your your attention toward when. You should be you should be eating right, and so uh, one of the things I, I tell people all the time is you know your gut is your second brain. Mm-hmm. OK. And and your gut has its own circadian rhythm. And so understanding like these windows, the you know, can actually be very, very important um, to, to sort of understand what you should be eating and when you should be eating and things like that. Um, but, you know, on average, we know that people who are early eaters um, lose weight and people who are late eaters lose um, have a tendency to not lose nearly as much weight, even if they're on a restrictive caloric diet. Uh, there was a great study, actually, I think it was out of Spain, um, that took 420. 420- overweight or obese men and women, uh, put them on a 1400 calorie diet per day for 20 weeks. Right. So these people should be losing weight. Right. right? right. Um, half the subject, right. Half the subject were early eaters, uh, and, uh, had their biggest meal of the day before 3 PM. Half the subjects were late eaters and had their biggest meal after 3 PM. Uh, they ate the same quantities of the same food as the early eaters, uh, exercised at a similar intensity and frequency and slept in the same number of hours and had comparable appetite hormones and gene function. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I I, you know, you can already guess who did better, right? Right. So the, the early eaters lost on average 22 pounds and the late eaters 17 pounds, which is a 25% difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, you might say to yourself, well hey, they still lost 17 pounds, which is great. And I'm not disagreeing. It is great. But if you're going to put forth the exact same amount of effort, would you rather lose um, you know, 22 pounds or would you rather lose 17 pounds? Right. You know, My guess is, is you've got to lose 22. So there's something to be said for eating earlier in the day um, and having those bigger meals before three o'clock.
0: Right. Which is so opposite of what we're taught to do or <laughs> what most of us do. Right. Which I think is so yeah. funny is, um, I think you've been mentioned on the last episode, which was episode number 30, is that you should funnel more of your carbs in the evening hours and have more protein and fat yes. in the morning. Which, again, is opposite of what the right. standard American diet is because if you look at breakfast foods, it's all carbs. Um, it's, it's, and
1: it's, it's yeah. all carbs, and it makes people so sleepy. I mean, a bagel might as well be an ambient, you know? Right. I mean. <laughs>
0: You could use it as a new drug. But so give us an explanation of why it's important to eat more protein and fat in the morning and more carbs as the day goes on.
1: So when we're looking at the types of foods that we should be eating in the morning, first of all, um, I always believe that we should go by the idea that you should, um, you know, eat your breakfast like a queen, eat your lunch like a princess and eat your dinner like a pauper in terms of size. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so we should be having our biggest meals of the day in the morning and they really should be protein focused and, um, and uh, good fat focused because one of the things we know is, first of all, it gives us better energy. So we know that a higher, there's many studies to now show that a high protein uh, diet actually uh, increases levels of alertness and increases uh, cognitive uh, connectivity. So we're able to think more clearly, we'll be able to have more energy uh, and we work better uh, in those kind of situations. Uh, Number two is um, carbohydrates in the morning have been shown categorically to make you sleepy. Um, and if you're having a hard time waking up in the morning, let me tell you right. something, there's nothing worse <laughs> than you know stacking on the carbs to do it. I think that the reason that historically we see more carbohydrates in the morning um, isn't based on any real recommendations. I think what it's based on is convenience right. and the foods that are currently being produced. I mean, walk down you know the cereal aisle and it's literally an entire aisle. There must be 200 different cereals right. out there. Right. Right. And almost none of them have protein in them um, because, you know, the shelf life and things like that. And you know, think about what we're giving our kids. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I make breakfast for my kids most mornings and I'm making things like Rocky Mountain toast or omelets or, you know, um, we'll do like an avocado uh, salad or things like that. It's really funny because my son loves to eat uh, dinner leftovers for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, li- I let him do it, you know, I mean, this morning we had uh, rotisserie chicken uh, and green beans for breakfast, right. you know? Um, and why not? Like, right. is there something wrong with that? You know, I mean, like he's getting great food in the morning and it's working out for him. So, you know, let's go for it. So, I think that, um, you know, people need to kind of rethink the way they're eating these days, especially when it comes to um, weight gain, because the data is very, very suggestive, Um, you know, and, and as you go through the day, if you're sleep deprived and your metabolism isn't functioning well, and then you throw on a big old meal at the end of the day with that's got a ton of carbohydrates and a ton of not so good fats for you, there's really no place for that stuff to go but to your fat.
0: Right, right. And it's so funny because breakfast, when you say that your children eat what you had left over, that's totally what we do because it's so funny to me that breakfast is the only meal where we have like categorized breakfast foods, you know, like where they're stated like these are for breakfast and you can't eat them any other time of the day or, you know, it seems strange. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Um, But going along with breakfast... So when we talk about timing of the meal, does breakfast mean within 30 minutes on waking or, you know, to me, breakfast is always just meant breaking the fast, but is there a time that we should eat breakfast after waking?
1: So first of all, there's a lot of people out there who like to skip breakfast, Mm -hmm. um, Specifically, going back to the chronotype idea, the wolves, the late night people, yeah. it's almost impossible to get them to eat breakfast in the morning. Um, so, by the way, one of the things that you can do, and, and sometimes I'll do this with my daughter because she's very wolfish, is uh, we'll give her a protein shake. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that way I can get the protein in her and I can get the, the nutrients in her without, because she can bear, like, the idea of her eating leftovers in the morning is appalling to her. She's like, Daddy, that's gross. Right. You know, and so, um, <laughs> For me, it's easier to get her to do like a, a protein shake. But yeah, there are absolutely certain times in the morning for breakfast. Uh, as an example, um, I like to see my people eating probably um, within an hour of waking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and before they do that, by the way, just to take a step back. Everybody out there should drink, you know, between 10 and 12 ounces of water immediately upon awakening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people don't know that. But the truth of the matter is that, um, in fact, uh, we breathe out approximately one liter of water a night while we're breathing. Just from the humidity of our breath, Mm -hmm. we breathe out almost a liter of water. So we actually wake up dehydrated which is not good. Um, And the worst thing, by the way, that you could do in the morning is drink a cup of coffee because uh, coffee is a diuretic and so it makes you pee and so you become more dehydrated. And caffeine um, actually uh, doesn't stimulate your appetite. It does the opposite. And so if you're drinking coffee, a lot of people tell me, oh, I you know, I drink a cup of coffee and I, my, the first meal I have is lunch. Well, you've now continued to dehydrate yourself. And oh, by the way, you've, you've continued to um, uh, suppress your appetite. And so that's not good because you're not going to have an opportunity to sort of work it off during the day. Mm-hmm. So again, getting back to the idea is you want to eat within one hour of waking up. Um, and you want to, you know, have breakfast be your biggest meal, uh, and you want to take your last bite of anything about three hours before bedtime. Mm-hmm. All right, so that gives your body enough time to, um, you know, continue to metabolize your food, kind of work it off, um, but not so not so um, early that you're going to get hungry again right before going to sleep.
0: Right. Right. And I have been studying females hormones because, uh, again, I kind of am on this passion that women are not small men. And so there's a difference in how we should eat. And one of the interesting things that I read was that, um, for our females hormonal flow that you should eat within an hour upon waking, because it really helps to, I don't want to say we're in conjunction. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've seen that time and time again, but yeah, it's such a misconception. Um, and something that I really didn't Promote for a while, you know, I was like, as long as breakfast is your biggest meal, I don't really think that there's a right time, but I'm really starting to see the value in that hour window upon waking up. But it makes sense that your body is like, okay, it's it's awake, it's time, it's ready to do right. something. Um, so, yeah, I want to bring up the coffee thing, though, because that's like, you know, America's way of life is to grab that cup of yeah. coffee in the morning and have that kind of start your day. Um, So going along with the diuretic effect, but also the caffeine factor of that, like hormonally speaking, is caffeine one, is it really uh, over time a placebo effect or is it still classified as a drug no matter if it's having an effect or not?
1: It's still a drug. I mean, to be honest with you, I see so much caffeine abuse in my field, of course, being sleep, um, that, you know, we, we see so many people who just... You know, they drink tons and tons of caffeine and it's really interesting. I used to be a, you know, three, two to three cup of coffee a day person. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing this research on chronotypes, I realized a lot of this stuff. And so I drink an eight to 12 ounce glass of, you know, room temperature water, usually within within 10, 15 minutes of waking up. At that point, I'm getting the kids um, ready, taking the dogs out, things like that. And so that's when I have my protein shake, usually within an hour of uh, of waking. And um, I don't actually if I if I have a cup of coffee, I wait almost somewhere between two and three hours later. And there's a reason for that. When you look at your hormones, you'll know that uh, cortisol and adrenaline are the two things that help actually bring your body out of a state of unconsciousness. You have to have those in abundance um, to be able to kind of pull you out of REM sleep, which is the mm. the sleep that you're most likely in in the last third right. of the night. So once you do that, if you add caffeine to cortisol and adrenaline, it, it's like adding weak tea to cocaine. Right. Okay, It doesn't do any good. Um, so waiting waiting until your cortisol level begins to drop and then having your first cup of coffee, that will actually help keep that cortisol up and your energy level up much, much better than um, than if you're you know on your third cup of coffee when you really should be on your first cup of coffee because at that point, all you're doing is starting to feel the side effects and you're not really getting the boost that mm-hmm. you're that you're looking for you know caffeine uh, and coffee in particular is best when it's used in small quantities at multiple times throughout the day so i, I tell people you know if you get up at let's say 6 30 You know, having your first cup of coffee around 930 makes a lot of sense. So after you've gotten to work and kind of settle in for the day, if if you're a coffee person and you want that boost, that's probably the best time. Then, um, you know, if you want to have a second one, you don't want to have it past about uh, two o'clock most people don't realize, but caffeine has a half-life of between eight and 10 hours. And so that can actually prevent you from being able to fall asleep, especially for all you people out there who are dolphins, who are my problem sleepers, um, really do not drink caffeine after two because it can have a pretty significant effect. Um, obviously you're going to be having your lunch, um, you know, probably around noonish. Uh, and then, uh, maybe you'll have a snack about four hours later. Um, and I'm a big fan of the, of having a snack at, at, at work at around four o'clock or so. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, eating, a you know, a small dinner around, you know, seven, seven thirty can actually make sure that your last bite is before 8 PM. Um, and then you can kind of stay within that 12 hour eating window, especially if your first meal is around eight.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of talk about this, there's a lot of people who are grazers and you kind of mentioned it earlier, yeah. but, but what is your thought on snacking or six meals a day or, you know, do you do you see any difference between those people who really just eat like their three meals a day and their six meals a day? I've heard there's, uh, you know, a difference with our our nervous system yeah. and and how we're prepared to digest food. Mm-hmm.
1: So the ask? answer is yes and no. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I wish I could give you a stat, you know, a static answer. Um, it depends upon what you're snacking and the amounts that you're snacking. So if you're a grazer, the the big problem with grazing is ending up eating too much. Um, and so, uh, for some of my grazers, if if you are if you are a true grazer and you actually you know quantity out your your grazing, so you have your bag of nuts and your you know your steamed vegetables or whatever it is that you like to graze on, um, I don't think I have a really big problem with it. But again keeping within that 12 hour eating window, I think makes a lot of sense for people who are grazers. And, and when you look at data, um, you know, some people would argue that the metabolic system is kind of like a fire. And if you just keep feeding it logs throughout the day, then you'll be able to burn through them. Whereas other people would say that, again, biggest meal is the first meal of the day uh, to give your body the fuel source that it needs. And then it can kind of start working through it throughout the day. Uh, my, My personal opinion is, um, I, I like to follow the, the you know, eating a big breakfast within an hour of waking, um, having a medium-sized lunch, a small snack, uh, and then a, a reasonably small dinner, like, a, like mm-hmm. a soup or a stew or something like that works out really well for me. For lunch, I'm usually having some kind of salad with some level of protein on it, whether it's a poached salmon or a grilled chicken, something like that. But for breakfast, I like to go, you know, a little bit bigger. Um, and that's where I'm having a protein shake, and then I might have... Um, again, those like, I'm, I'm a big egg white omelet person with avocado or broccoli or, uh, you know, getting some greens in there as well.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. The foundation of that. I like that. I mean, it kind of, kind of goes back to, uh, probably more of how we should be eating because some of us are just emotionally eating or eating mindlessly because, because it's easy or we're tired. Um, and that's a big
1: factor, you know? just not to not to you know hype on the point but i can't count the number of people who come to me and they say you know i don't understand why i'm gaining weight and i say you know do you eat for energy or do you eat for you know fuel Mm -hmm. and, you know, sustenance, if you will. And, um, so many people tell me that they eat emotionally, um, especially when they're stressed, especially when they're watching television. Um, but also, um, just because they're exhausted Mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, I'm just going to get a quick pick me up here. I'm going to get a little fuel. Um, and it doesn't always work that way, especially depending upon food choice.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. I kind of want to take this a little bit deeper because I feel like we live in a world with so much autoimmunity and There's this big push for cancer and um, just disease in general. I mean, even outside of obesity, which is a big issue. But what do you find being the key components when it comes to preventing or lessening these diseases and maybe even just helping to prevent them to lessen the, the disease that we might have? Like, how does sleep and the eating connection kind of affect that?
1: So number one, um, and I know I keep harping on chronotypes, but I mean, the research is just so fresh in my head. There's now data to show that if you follow your chronotype, you have, it's like a 20 something percent chance, less likelihood of contracting or um, continuing with a a chronic disease state, uh, which in and of itself is pretty amazing, right? right? So if you just follow, you just, I know if you just follow your genetics, you'd be shocked. Uh, at how much better your body will will work, and, and I think the same holds true for eating, right? I mean, um, you, you know, again, following a schedule, understanding what works for you and what doesn't work for you, I, I think is really going to be the 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 key sort of factors here in terms of um, you know chronic disease, and you know, look, inflammation is everything at this point, right. you know, that seems to be the biggest buzzword I've heard for the last five years is all about, you know, what's causing the inflammation and, and, you know, why am I in pain all the time? And, and why do I feel like crap and things like that? And it's all seems to be boiling down to inflammation. So the other thing, um, and, and not to get, you know, too, too far from, from the question is, you know, look at your food, Right. What is in it? You know, are these GMO produced foods? Are they non GMO produced foods? I don't have an opinion about GMO one way or another, but if my products aren't labeled GMO or mm-hmm. non-GMO, that kind of bothers me because then I can't make that choice. Um, you know, sticking to whole foods, sticking to things that you can um, you know, pull out of the ground um and eat, you know, I mean, I don't know what's in mac and cheese a lot of the times. Don't get me wrong, I like mac and cheese, but right. you know, I, I really watch what I'm mm-hmm. eating now, especially with my kids, because we're starting to see you know, uh, young girls going into puberty far earlier than they ever mm-hmm. were before. And you start to think about the antibiotics that are being uh, put into chicken and uh, the things that are going into milks uh, and things of that nature. There, there's a connection. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but there's definitely a connection.
0: Right, right. I totally agree. We can see it all around us. Going <laughs> along with that, but I feel like there's a lot of uh, other things in our environment that we're surrounded with. And I think I saw this on your blog that is your bedroom making you fat. And I'm bringing this up only (laughs) because um, we recently found out that there were some industrial toxins in our house that were causing an illness. And me specifically and and just my body Mm. was kind of constantly finding that and, um, you know, taking care of that, feeling so much better. But I feel like people don't even think about that. So could our bedrooms be making us fat?
1: So the answer is yes, um, and uh, so so let me explain, right? And so there's some of the obvious things, which are, you know, if there's things in your bedroom that aren't allowing you to sleep, then that could be causing this sleep level of sleep deprivation, which of course slows your metabolism. But there's now data to even show that light. Uh, very particular wavelengths of light can have an effect on your, uh, your actually levels of fat, believe it or not. Um, so when you look at things like, um, blue light, you've probably seen a lot of stuff out there lately um, actually for the last few years right. that, you know, your devices, right, your phone and your laptop and your, um, your tablets have got all this blue light associated with them. And what does that mean? So if there's a spectrum of light, um, and light, uh, can be in what are, it's measured in something called nanometers or wavelengths and 460 nanometers, uh, mm-hmm. is the spectrum for blue. And, uh, blue tells your, um, it, when it hits your eye, it tells your brain to stop producing melatonin. Most people don't know, but 80% of melatonin is actually made in the gut, not in the brain. Um, when we talk about melatonin, we almost exclusively talk about it for sleep. But melatonin is a super powerful antioxidant, um, and it's important that it's uh, in the digestive process. And so for a lot of people, thinking about um, that can be very important. So when you go into your bedroom, you really want to think through the idea of, hmm, what in here could be um, reducing my ability to sleep well because we know that that ability to sleep well is going to have a fact an effect on my ability to gain or lose weight so when i go into a bedroom i like to think of it in, as in the five senses so mm-hmm. sight sound touch taste and smell mm-hmm. so look around your bedroom and look at it from a light perspective right so do you have uh you know blackout shades do you use an eye mask Um, is there a a lot of light that's going on? I mean, even a simple thing as installing a dimmer switch or using one of those bulbs that clicks, you know, that Mm -hmm. you reduce the wattage in can actually be quite helpful. Um, but light is the thing that disrupts your sleep the most. The second is sound. Uh, and it can be the sound of a crying baby. It can be the sound of a barking dog. Um, it can be the television that's on. Um, but sound definitely has an effect on people's ability to sleep. And so, um, but it's, what's really interesting is if it's too quiet, um, you're actually, your ability to hear increases. And so you want to have some level of sound, but just not a lot of sound that's going on. Um, so, you know, sound machines can work out really well. Uh, I'm working with a company called iHome that's about to release a new sound machine. That's pretty interesting. Um, if you're looking for light bulbs, by the way, that do not have that 460 nanometers of uh, blue light. Uh, There's a company called lighting.science. If you just go to their website, they've got some products that I I actually personally use in my home um, that I find to be very, very helpful in terms of uh, not giving me that uh, blue light exposure. Um, we were, uh, smell is another f- big factor. And so people ask me all the time, does aromatherapy really work? Well, the answer is it does. There's been, a, there's been at least two double-blind placebo-controlled studies to show that uh, both lavender, vanilla, and something called Ylang Ylang, which is spelled Y-L-A-N-G, Y-L-A-N-G, mm-hmm. are aromas that cause a relaxation response and actually help you fall asleep. Um, when we look at touch, that's all about temperature and pillows and mattresses and sheets. And um, so from those perspectives, um, we could do a whole show on how to pick right. a mattress, <laughs> right? Um, how, to, how to pick a pillow, but suffice it to say that the, the surface on which you sleep definitely has an effect on your ability to sleep. You know, I, I believe that sleep is a performance activity and so I'm a runner. And if I've got my ASICs on with my dry fit wear right. and, my, and my, you know, my tunes going, I'm going to run faster and I'm going to perform better because I've got better equipment for sleep. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally believe that your mattress, your pillow, your sheets, the temperature of the room, that, that's your sleep equipment. So you should take that kind of seriously. Uh, and then the final one is, um, is taste. And so are there certain foods that are better for sleep than others? Yeah, there actually are, like we were talking about before. Um, Good carbohydrates in the evening can be helpful. Potatoes are better than pasta, um, as an example. Um, Protein is good. But again, looking at the quantity of the meal that you're having, how much food are you bringing in uh, at the end of the night? While having a full belly does, in, in some cases, make you feel sleepy and you want to go down and lie down and fall asleep, it's not necessarily the best thing for you.
0: Right, right. So interesting. I love all of this. So before we kind of wrap this up, because we're getting to the end of it, and I still have like half my questions left. But I just thought it would be fun to kind of ask you just, you know, kind of like a one topic thing and a really short answer to what you have to say about this. So kind of like a little fire, fire thing. So what's your favorite you sleep food, like food to enhance sleep?
1: Uh, my favorite food to enhance sleep are bananas. So bananas have a lot of magnesium in them, and I make this recipe called banana tea where I take a banana, I wash it off, I leave the peel on and the fruit in, and I boil it for about four or five minutes, and yeah. um, you drink the water. It's loaded with magnesium, and it helps you sleep. So bananas Crazy. are my favorite sleep food. So you,
0: so you actually leave the peel on. You basically boil a whole banana.
1: Yeah. Well, you cut off the tips. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you leave the peel on. Turns out there's three times the amount of magnesium in the peel than is in the fruit. Right, And so by boiling it with the peel on and making this banana tea, it, it's literally, it, it's a heck of a lot better than chamomile tea and it'll put you out like a light.
0: That's awesome. Okay. What about a pillow? Can you name like one pillow off the top of your head that's amazing or is it personal preference? <laughs>
1: So, um, I, I, here's what I would tell you is, is it's tough because you need to figure out, do you like squish or do you like firm? Mm. Um, and so, because you will if you like firm, you're going to be over in the memory foam world. If you like squish, then you're going to be in more of the feathered down world, assuming you don't have, um. Uh, allergies. Right. Uh, they do now make synthetic downs that are actually feel just as much, just as good as uh, as regular old feather down pillows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other factor that you want to know about is uh, what starting sleep position you're in. So if you are a back or a stomach starting sleep positioner, then you want a very thin flat pillow. But if you're start out on your side, then you want something much thicker because you really are looking for is your head and neck to be completely aligned with your sternum. So that way you don't have any strain in your neck one way or another.
0: Right. Okay. Do you ever use an earthing mat or salt lamp or anything? Some people would say crazy like that.
1: So number one, I don't think it's crazy. um, But number (laughs) two, uh, because there's a little bit of data on it, but number two, I do do believe that there are people who are electromagnetic sensitive Mm -hmm. um, because I've had them come into my practice and um, those earthing mats can actually be very, very helpful for them. You know, there has to be you know, we've got so much electricity and so much electromagnetism that is going through our our homes. There has to be um, something and having some effect on on us as a, as a human species um, that is, that's doing something there. I'll tell you about a funny uh, study that was done. They took 20 insomniacs and they took them camping for two weeks. And yeah. by the end of the two weeks, almost none of them had insomnia anymore.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. Honestly, yeah. one of the things that we found is one of our daughters is sensitive to EMFs. And some people think Mm -hmm. it's like crazy and out there, but we have um, our Wi-Fi on a timer. So it always shuts off in the evening hours and then it's Mm -hmm. off all night. And granted, there's still radiation coming in and out of the house. It still shuts off that main, um, that central system that's just going everywhere. And we found that it honestly helps. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it has a big effect.
0: Right. What about a salt lamp?
1: You know, I don't know. I don't know about any data on salt Mm -hmm. lamps, but I've, I've actually, um, I've meditated with one in the room and I went to one of those float tanks. Um, and, um, I love them, man. I think they're great. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I live in uh, Southern California. I live about a mile and a half off the beach. So I get that salt air. Uh, on a fairly regular basis, and my son's a surfer, so we're down at the beach quite a bit. Um, But I, I think there's something there. I don't know if there's any data, but I think there's something there.
0: Right, right. It's supposed to be like an air purification thing. Just FYI for all those who mm-hmm. don't know. Okay, and just a couple more things.
1: Yeah. Of um,
0: what about yawning? Why do we yawn?
1: <laughs> oh gosh. So That's this is a, a long topic. <laughs> of, this is a topic of conversation from a lot of people. We don't really know why we yawn. Um. Some people, the argument is that um, it's an oxygen deprivation uh, thing. Um, I I can't tell you an honest answer because I don't think anybody really knows yet. But um, for the most part, we know that yawning is contagious. Um, We know that if you yawn in front of somebody, they will yawn fairly quickly thereafter. Um, And we know that in most cases, it is a signal that we're tired, but we also think it has something to do with oxygen deprivation. But that's unfortunately the the most I know about yawning. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. I didn't know if there was a hormonal uh, effect to yawning.
1: Well, I pulled up some information on it while we were talking. Yeah. So here, let me give you a little bit of uh, information here. So technically yawn is actually a reflex. Uh, a simultaneous inhalation of air and a stretching of the eardrums followed by an exhalation of breath that's how you would actually define a yawn Uh, and we and we know that you're glad to have that (laughs) explained but most people want to know why so right so um, a yawn is always linked to exhaustion almost always linked to exhaustion fatigue or the need for sleep and the truth of the matter is no it's actually not Um, yawning can be connected to any number of conditions and even emotions including stress Boredom, lack of stimulation, which I guess could be, you know, code word for right. boredom. Uh, and then being overworked, uh, also kind of code word for exhaustion. Right. Uh, and uh, we actually have no idea why, wanting, why yawning is so contagious, um, but it certainly is. Um, and then um, we can also, we also, have, there's one study to show um, that um, increased amounts of carbon dioxide in the blood can induce a yawn. And yawning, this is interesting. Yawning is, a, is the body's way of controlling brain temperature. Wow. So listen to this. Yeah, the theory suggests that yawning cools off the brain much like a fan cools the insides of a computer. Reptiles, for instance, might yawn to maintain their body temperature. Since most reptiles rely on ambient temperature to maintain their body temperature, yawning might be a means for promoting rapid cooling down. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. So um, that's what I I know about yawning.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, I knew there had to be something unique about it because it's not talked about a lot, but everyone does it. So, okay. And then one more thing, give us like two or three things that you think that we could put in place and would really kind of change our health from, um, you know, our diet and sleep. Like what are your three big tips for us?
1: Okay. So number one. When you wake up in the morning, drink 8 to 12 ounces of water. Mm -hmm. First thing. Uh, Number two, while you're doing that, get 15 minutes of sunlight. Because remember, sunlight turns off that melatonin faucet and helps you wake up in the morning. Mm
0: -hmm. Is that outside Um, or is that like you can stand by a window?
1: you can stand by a window or you can go outside either, either one, but going outside is going to give you a, a better effect, especially okay. if you find yourself being sleepy. Um, and then, um, number three, keep a consistent sleep schedule. You know, I, I, know you hear me harp about it all the time, but the more consistent your sleep schedule is the better, the quality and the quantity of sleep that you'll have. And then my last one would be, uh, check out the power of when, and, uh, check out the quiz.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it, honestly, it kind of opened my eyes to everything and even my work schedule and how much I get done. So ever since I took the power of Win, I know I'm a lion, which, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a definite lion. Like, uh, I go to bed early. (laughs) I'm a wake up early. Like it's a, it's not a question. And I always try to force myself to work at night because I have a a weird schedule. What I found was that when I was trying to work at night, I was so unproductive and I was almost stressed and I, I definitely wasn't sleeping as well and waking up more at night. And so now that I've just know that, you know, after I reach like six or seven o'clock at night, like I shouldn't even do anything because it takes me twice as long. Ever since I've done that, I've just found that I'm so much more awake the next morning and I have more oh, energy and I actually can wake up better. You like, even though I'm a lion and I'm a morning person, like it's still a struggle to wake up when I want to yeah, wake up course. for the day. But I feel like I, I'm like more consistent about waking up and like feel good when I wake up. So I don't know if it's just sleeping better because I'm not stressing my mind, at night and trying to do something that I'm just my chronotype is just so against um but it really has right. changed the name of the game for me in all aspects of life but specifically like that work um how productive I am during the day so definitely take the quiz it's very eye opening my whole family's done it we kind of like compare and um <laughs> it, it really is cool to see that it's so simple to see when you should do things and how big of an impact that actually has So thank you so much for being on the show again. I love this. I'm sure it won't be the last time as you are a wealth of knowledge. And I can't wait to see what's in store for you next. And if you haven't picked up um, his latest book, The Power of Win or The Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan, um, I would highly recommend both of those. They're excellent. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Alexa. This has been fun. Take care.
0: Wow. Another powerful episode by The Wise Dr. Michael Bruce. What an honor to have him on the show for the second time. Again, if you missed the first show all about sleep chronotyping, you're going to want to check that out. That episode was number 30, which can be found at simplerootswellness.com slash 030. And if you haven't checked out his latest book, The Power of when, you must do so. It is life-changing. I'll make sure and link that up as well as all the other resources and the book we talked about today the Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 035. Like I mentioned in the show notes, learning my chronotype from his free quiz has changed my work life. I know when I work my best and when I don't. This not only has allowed me to set boundaries, but to be more productive than ever because I'm working when my body is wanting to work. I can't wait to instill the next layer and that is eating based on my chronotype which for me, I'm a lion. Early to bed and early to rise with a good eight hours of sleep per night. I know that anything less than that makes my hunger go through the roof and again, like you mentioned, makes me crave all the carbs. So for me, this means going to bed early, even if it seems too early, and eating earlier and finishing my meals for the day before most even think about dinner. It may seem unrealistic at first, but it really is quite easy. I still cook the same amount I normally would for dinner and just use it as leftovers for my breakfast and lunch. I'll be showcasing more of this on my blog in the upcoming weeks, but for now, I'll make sure and post some of my favorite healthy breakfast recipes on the blog at simplerootswellness.com. And before I sign off for the day, I wanted to encourage you to sign up for my daily newsletter, if you haven't done so already. It's more information, real life situations, and really just me exposed. It's a place to do life, with someone, a community, a tribe of people who are like-minded and on the same mission. A safe place to be you and achieve health. I'd love for you to be a part of it because not only is it a direct look at my own life, but I provide exclusive content, recipes, and weekly meal plans that are actually family-friendly, quick, and realistic. To sign up, head on over to my blog, simplerootswellness.com, and leave your name and email. Again, you can do all of this through the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 035. And before I leave, my challenge to you today is to take the free chronotype quiz and start intermittent fasting. I have an entire podcast devoted to the value and science behind intermittent fasting, but I promise it is one of the easiest ways to regain your health. Start with simply 12 hours which means if you eat breakfast at 6.30 a.m., you need to be fully finished by 6.30 p.m. It doesn't dictate what you eat within that 12 hours, just that you eat all of your calories within that 12-hour period. There is power in the when, even more than the what, and I can promise once we start wrapping our mind around that, it changes the game. It's just one small step every day. So let's do this together. Until next week, here's to health devotion.